Hello, I'm Mariette Sleiman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today we're talking about the key to developing self-esteem, self-worth and self-love. My guest is Angela Hardy, Personal Transformation Specialist from Johannesburg. Welcome, Angela. Thank you, Mariette. Just for our listeners, after our conversation, Angela will give us her three best tips on developing self-esteem. And then it will be fun question time. Angela, could you tell us what a Personal Transformation Specialist does? Well, um, people often say to me, are you a coach? And I always say, no, 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 I'm not a coach because I'm not kicking your butt down the road to help you to be more successful or do more or become more um, viable in some way. Instead, what it is that I look to do is I look to change the way that you experience your life completely. So if you are suffering, if you are unhappy, if you are suffering from depression or anxiety or stress, if you feel like you can't accept yourself or you're not able to love yourself or you're not able to find joy in your life, I work at actually changing completely the way you experience yourself. So that is this natural way of just being in a life joyfully, with pleasure, and just having this experience of being alive and being able to say, yay, that feels good. That sounds wonderful. So I'm glad we're going to hear more about that. <laughs> Today we're looking at self-esteem, self-worth, and self-acceptance. Now, I think most of us know what it feels like to feel that I'm not enough. Oh. Can you tell us about your own experience of learning to love yourself? Well, I would say that that experience started, I started to try to learn to love myself in my early 20s. I started to not love myself at birth. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know why I had a really great childhood. I had loving parents. I really have nothing to complain about. But you know, we have this way of growing up in the world and thinking that we have to be something other than what we are. That somehow we, in our way, are not enough, that we're not living up to something that we're supposed to be, that we are fundamentally unlovable. And that was true for me. And in my childhood, I dealt with that sense of not enoughness by trying to prove myself to be better. And when you have to be better, well, you have to be better than everybody else. And everybody else doesn't enjoy that so much. And I'm constantly scraping and grasping for that experience. So I'm not enjoying it so much. And also feeling very sensitive and very defensive and very criticized by everything. So having the super, super sensitivity, which I responded to with a lot of aggression and a lot of defensiveness and a lot of um, kind of strong emotional uptightness. And so there I was going through my life being this very uptight, very aggressive, very sensitive little being who was totally moody all the time, tended to be angry, tended to have this experience of life that just I, I felt like I was unlovable. And when I was in my early 20s, I worked for a guy and he said to me, you must do this course. And it was a personal development course that somebody was doing. And so I did this course, which was very expensive for me at the time and very scary for me to spend my money on at the time. And I came out of this course and I realized it doesn't have to be like this. That the feeling that I have about the world and the feeling that I have about myself and the way that I go about living is not working for me. And so 
I suddenly started to think to myself, I can change. I can be a better person. I can be more. I can be something other than what I am. And that, unfortunately, was not a great thought because the basis of that thought is that I'm not okay, which is the basis of the thought that I always had when I was a child. So fast forward 20 years of doing everything I can, reading all the personal transformation books, doing all of the work to try to understand how to become this better person, that somehow I would be sufficient, that I would be lovable. And finally, I come to this understanding called the three principles. And in the understanding of the three principles, I suddenly catch this wake up moment and I realize I've always been looking in the wrong place. That the right place has been where all of the little things on the back of the sugar container says, it lies within. And I've heard it a million times and I'd, I'd studied it a million times, but I hadn't come to the understanding of how to change what was within. So I kept trying to change what was without and how I showed up and who I was instead of recognizing and realizing that actually it's not possible for a human being not to be human enough and that we're all given this kind of avatar and it's all potluck what that avatar might be when we come into the physical world and that it doesn't have to be smarter or prettier or cleverer or better or more performance orientated or more successful in order for us to feel okay. And that understanding for me was just like this amazing explosive light bulb change for me because from that moment my life just went and all the things that I'd learned in the personal transformation development books that I'd read all of the things that I'd worked so hard on everything started to just go and fall into place for me and in that falling into place my life just started to flow it's not that things changed on the outside it didn't become easier from the outside in it became easier from the inside out and so all of the experiences that were, used, that were happening that used to come to me, I just had a way of dealing with them in a way that was peaceful and calm and capable of being present and capable of finding the joy and the happiness in them. And I, I learned how to not be angry. I learned how to not be aggressive. And I learned how to be filled with love and joy and to be compassionate and to be open-hearted and to just be in my life in a way that was really, really open and peaceful and fabulous. And of course, it's not always like that, you know, the nature of the mind and the nature of life is that we go up and we go down. But just my level of general happiness and well-being is a thousand times higher than it ever was. And my capacity to deal is a thousand times better than it ever was. And so having learned that and, and, and discovered the truth of how life actually works to create our feeling and our experience of it. It's just become my great pleasure to share that with people and to help other people who are suffering from depression or anxiety or, or um, fear of failure or a lack of enoughness or a sense of themselves that they're not lovable or a past experience where they were abused and they've carried that forward into a sense of themselves that is abused to just come up and realize their true power and their sense of, oh, I've always been okay and I've always been lovable and I just had to see it. So I hope you can unpack some of that mm. for us today. Yeah. I was wondering if, if this lack of self-love is something you often see in your practice. I see it everywhere. I think it is the curse of our civilization, is a lack of self-love. It's the curse of the marketing industry that tells us that we're only going to be better if we buy this or have this or make this or do this. It's the curse of 
our attempt to socialize our children, you know, where we're saying not like that, like this, not like that, like this. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that because you have to do that. But the misunderstanding that we get from that experience is I'm not okay. It's the curse of this idealized idea of what success is in Western society in particular, this idea that it has to be money and it has to be power in order for you to be sufficient somehow. And the way that we look at that experience and then tell ourselves, well, if I don't have it, and it actually is bizarre because it doesn't matter how much you have, you still feel it. So I see it everywhere. I see it from the CEOs right at the top of the rung where it's really lonely at the top and they need someone to say, hey, I'm feeling lost and lonely and I, I'm here because I've worked so hard because I wanted to get that good feeling in me and I still don't have that good feeling. No matter my wealth, no matter my, my success, no matter my position or power, I still don't have that good feeling inside of me. And I see it in the poorest of the poor. And it, it, it's like the curse of our society, the idea that our humanness makes us not good enough humans. And from this side, I mean, I saw it when I was a kid and when I was in my 20s, I also felt that way. But from this side, it's the most bizarre idea. How can it be that you're just not enough as you are? And yet we're all feeling it. Now, I was wondering if you could tell us your view of the underlying reasons. You have touched on media and some other thing. I think that we getting it from birth because we are... I'd, essentially, it's because we're not taught to understand the nature of the mind. So the underlying reason for everything is that we are creating an experience of life through our thinking. And the type of thinking that we have determines the experience that we have of our lives. It determines the experience that we have of ourselves. And it determines the personality that we think we are. It, it's the creation. We make up our personality through the thinking that we do. So you're born and you go along and your parents are either super loving or they leave you to cry or they do both or you don't know what and you're interpreting that. What does it mean about me? What does it mean about how I get on? What does it mean about how I can survive? Get the love that I want and be my, my authentic self. As a child in particular, but even as an adult, we want two things most desperately. We want to know that we are accepted by others and loved by others because literally we will die if we're not as a kid. And we want to know about our authentic self. Can we be our authentic self? And the problem is that from really, really early on, that idea of who we want to be, what makes our light shine, what turns us on, is always being compromised by this, I want to get the love, I need acceptance from other people. And so we're negotiating from really, really early on, how do I get you to love me, Mariette? How do I get you to love me? And then I start to interpret that and make meaning of it. And every experience that I have that is difficult, I make meaning of it. Who am I? Am I lovable? Am I enough? Can I get on? Can I be myself? Can I be loved? And every hard experience and every traumatic experience winds up our nervous system and says to our nervous system, hey, survival's at risk here. Are you sure you want to be this thing? Maybe you have to be something else or somebody else. And so we're getting all of these messages that we're interpreting. And the biggest problem is our interpretation of these messages. Something happens, we say it's bad. We don't want that bad thing to happen. It's uncomfortable and painful for us. So we think, well, in order for me not to feel this discomfort and this pain, I need to be something other than what I am. I can't just be this thing that I am. 
And so we try to start manipulating ourselves and squeezing ourselves in a box and trying to pretend to be something that we're not for somebody and pretend to be something else for somebody else. We're trying to earn this love, not realizing that that is actually what's causing us to feel unlovable, unacceptable, and, and basically unloved. And we get defensive and we get sensitive and we, we, we try to do it through our various methodologies. And what's really interesting about this to me is that it doesn't matter what your method is. I see the same thing happening with people who are super arrogant and super aggressive in the way that they deal with life and people who are doormats and walkovers and martyrs to life and everything in between. It's just another method of trying to get what we want. And that thing is to feel like we're enough. We've just chosen something in our early childhood and we've said, okay, well, if I'm a martyr, then if I do enough for you, eventually this contract of my doing for you and lifting you up and trying to give you what you want will cause you to give me back what I want for you to tell me that I'm fantastic and I'm lovable and that I'm sufficient for you. And those that are doing, you know, aggression and arrogance or anger or defensiveness or protectiveness, they're doing the same thing. They're saying, if I get enough, if I just get on top of you, if I'm the most powerful person in the room, then you will have to know that I'm sufficient. And then you will tell me and then I will feel it. But the truth is, it doesn't matter how many times you tell me. My own mind is the person that's telling me the story. Mm -hmm. And my own mind says, yeah, you know, that doesn't count. Sounds like a very uphill battle. <laughs> Oh. And it sounds familiar. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so if a client comes to you with mm. this issue, which you see very often, which steps do you take them through? Well, the way that I work is actually quite unusual and really, really effective. It's really quick. So the first thing that I do is I teach them the nature of the mind. How does your mind work to create your feeling experience? And... The misunderstanding there is that my feeling comes because Mariette looked at me skew or she said something nasty or she didn't give me the job that I wanted or um, somebody hit my car from behind or some idiot went through the stop street and I had a conniption about it or you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. The feeling seems to be coming from that outside in. And our brain has been pulling this big fat con job on us from the time we were born that that's how it works. And it's through that misunderstanding that we get so caught up in it. The truth is that our experience comes through the interpretation that we have of the outside stimulus. So the meaning that I make of something is how I feel about it. And all of my feeling, 100% of my emotional state is always generated through that thinking. But the truth is that that thinking is sometimes very conscious. We hear the voice in our head. And sometimes very unconscious, it's so habitualized that we hear no voice. We don't know anything about the fact that we've had thinking the first thing we know, there's emotion come up. And so because we've had this misunderstanding, this con that our brain has been pulling on us, that's actually the outside in that's causing my experience, we're always going to the outside world to try and fix it. We're going to fix ourselves on the outside, and we're going to the outside to try and change and control the environment that we're in to try to make it good for us. And when it isn't good for us, we say, well, that's what's causing this feeling. And we keep buying into that story and buying into that story and buying into that story. So the stories that we tell ourselves, the meaning that we make of an experience, they create, create our personality, they create our sensitivity, and they create our experience of life. 100%. All the time, there are no exceptions. And because of that, we have to start by understanding, how is the mind working to do this? 
So that's the very, very first thing I do with my clients. We spend three hours and I teach them that thing. And then we weave that information through the rest of our work together. I normally spend around about three months with somebody. It's very, very quick. Sometimes they stay on for the master program because they're just loving it and they want to be able to check in. But three months once a week. And then the next 12 weeks, I use kinesiology and talk and sometimes NLP and all sorts of other little things, but primarily the kinesiology. And the kinesiology is probably the single most powerful healing modality I've ever come across, and I've come across a lot of them. And so I trained for about five years in kinesiology, about four and a half years, actually. And what we do with the kinesiology is we can literally change physiologically your reaction to something. We can reprogram the unconscious mind and all of the reactivity that you have to something. And so we're looking then at the underlying belief systems that you hold to be true about life. So let's say I've had an experience in my childhood and it was traumatic, it was difficult for me. And that experience I've interpreted as I'm not good enough. Or I've interpreted as I'm not safe. Or I've interpreted it as all men are dangerous. Then every time I come to an experience that in some way is represented as all men are unsafe, or I'm not safe, or I'm not okay, my mind starts coming up with a story again. And so the next situation is interpreted through that filter. So what we're doing is we're actually changing that filter. We're changing that belief system filter, that sabotage filter, so that the next time I come to an experience like this, there's none of that old filter that says, I'm not okay here. Instead, I have a new understanding that says, I'm always okay. So no matter what you're doing or how to cure you're busy going, I know that I'm okay and I'm lovable and I'm sufficient. And that whatever's happening with you has got to do with you in this moment. And I can leave it at your doorstep. So I'm literally reprogramming the unconscious mind as we go along. And that's so wonderful because we don't have to go into years of angst and trauma and the story and try and remember what your life was and try and figure out everything. We're using this, this kind of... It's an incredible, powerful modality to get right into the body, right into the nervous system, right into the unconscious mind, right into the energetic system, right into even your nutritional system, your structure, your bones, your ligaments, your tendons. We can get into everything. So every way that the body is storing information and reprogram that very, very quickly. Could you, perhaps for someone who has no idea what kinesiology is, just mm. give a... Okay, so... Idea. It's quite difficult to understand, but I will give you my little elevator pitch about how it works. Basically, we're using muscle testing, which is to ask a muscle to hold. So if I were to say, put your arm out and ask to push down on your arm, you'd be able to hold with no difficulty at all. But if I ask you to think about something stressful and I push down with the same pressure on the arm again, your arm will not be able to hold up. And the reason for that is because when I ask your brain to consider something that is stressful for it, the actual energy via the nerve to the muscle that allows the muscle to contract is less. And it can be any muscle in your body. You literally lose energy in your body when you think about something that's stressful. Which means that I can now test your liver. And if your brain says, oh, that's not working so well, that's a stressor on the brain, it will cause that muscle to what we call unlock, which means not hold as much energy, so not hold as tightly. And if I ask you a question about something, that will represent in whether the muscles are able to lock or unlock as to whether you are in alignment with that or not. So if I were to say, um, say a sentence like, I am lovable, 
and then say a sentence like, I'm not lovable. If you're not lovable in your own mind, that is stressful for you. So it'll cause the muscle to unlock. So this knowing that you're talking about is not what you have been referring to, uh, that feeling of not enoughness that we grow up with. This is a different knowing that you get to through the muscle test. So this is the, the, the unconscious mind which has recorded and made sense of every experience in your life and is holding the program by which you are running your life. So it's like DOS 1 for those of us who are old enough or um, what are we running now, Windows XP or whatever it is that we're running now, Windows 10, sorry, for those of you who are younger. It's the program by which your life, your life runs. So if you take, for instance, like somebody who says, I'd like to give up smoking, but they carry on smoking, that's a sabotage program. I think consciously that I want to give up smoking, but unconsciously, smoking holds a whole bunch of meaning and purpose and intention for me. And so my unconscious program keeps me smoking. Or somebody who'd like to lose weight, but is struggling to lose weight. I think that I would like to lose weight, but I carry on behaving in a way that causes me to not lose weight because I'm running a whole bunch of un unconscious programs about weight being protection for me, maybe not want to be too sexually available or sexually beautiful. Maybe, um, maybe if I lose my weight, then I'll have to also be smart and clever and beautiful in other ways. And so there's all of these sabotage programs, all these belief systems that we hold around the issues in our lives. And so if it comes to self-love and self-esteem, which is what we're talking about, it's things like, in order for me to love myself, I have to be a better person. But being a better person is such a vague thing. Like, what is a better person? So we strive to be better, but the goalpost is an ever-moving thing. And because we believe that I can only love myself, I only have permission to love myself when I'm better, I can never reach better, therefore I can never feel I can love myself. So it's a misunderstanding of what's even possible for me. So if the belief system was, I can love myself even when I'm a fumbling fool, even when I'm fantastic, even when I'm in between, I can just treat myself as lovable, as I do for my husband and my children, my dog and my cat and my, my friends. You know, I don't need them to be perfect to be lovable. But somehow we think differently about ourselves, right? I have to be perfect before I can love myself. So this is a sabotage program. It's a misunderstanding about being able to be lovable. And that sits through the whole system. And we've learned it from really, really early on. So we have to change that belief. We have to change the energetic response to that belief. We have to change the whole program in all of the unconscious mind, in all of the, the, the nerves and cells and, and ligaments and tendons in your whole body. So that now your belief can be, I am lovable regardless. I can love myself regardless and I choose to love myself regardless. So you first teach your clients what, what the basic principle is. The that nature of the mind. Yes. So it's not outside in, it's, it's inside, inside out. out. Exactly. And then you help them discover what they've got inside. Right. And that will include sabotage programs. It's almost exclusively sabotage programs and misunderstandings about how life works, who I am, and what do I have to be or do in order to, to navigate life. Mm. So you run through that. We run through that. Them. And so there's, you know, there's some really, really common ones that pretty much everybody's got. I mean, let's take, for instance, tell me about self-judgment. Tell me about the voice in your head, Mariette. Oh, yes, it's a very active one. Gives you a yeah. slap, doesn't it? Yeah. When you don't do something that is along the lines of your value system, it gives you a hard time. 
it's rude to you, it's mean to you, it's kind of probably as rude to you as mean to you as if it was a friend, you'd say, get out of my life, don't ever come back. It's the rudest, meanest, most hurtful person in your life, that voice in your head. But most of us have had this belief that without that voice giving us a hard time, we wouldn't do better. We wouldn't try harder. We wouldn't become a better person. Now the question we have to ask ourselves is, is that true? And that belief is based on the premise that in order to be enough, I have to be something other than what I am. And we have to ask ourselves, is that belief true? Because if that belief wasn't true, you could love yourself right now. Completely, wholeheartedly, with generosity and kindness and compassion and just that warm feeling inside, which is what we're all actually looking for with all of our success and all of our drive and all of our hard work. We're looking to get that warm feeling inside. So you could just go straight there. Now, does that mean that you're going to sit on the counter eating potato chips all day? No, because that's everyone's greatest fear. But if I just love myself, then wouldn't I just stop being successful and stop working and stop trying to be a better person? No, because actually there's an adventure of the spirit. There's an adventure of achievement that drives us to do better. And if we were just doing life from that adventure, there would be no fear. There would be no holding ourselves back. There would be no hurting ourselves through it. There would be no stress in it. We would just be going for it and saying, wow, I wonder if this will work because it's not the measurement of me. Yeah, and now we're back at the authentic self that you were talking about exactly. at the beginning, which likes to express itself. Yes, our authentic self now has permission to just light its fire and go for it without fear of failure because someone's going to tell me I'm not enough and mm. I'm going to believe that. Mm. I must say that that sounds really, really wonderful. It's exciting, isn't it? Uh, I was going to ask you then if the, the concept of unconditional self-love, if that is attainable and if that is sustainable well it's the only way actually because the very word unconditional kind of has to sit in front of that self-love thing for us to get there unconditional means it doesn't matter how badly i do it doesn't matter if i'm a bumbling fool it doesn't matter if i make a mistake it doesn't matter if i fail those things do not determine my worth or my value or my lovability so i love myself even through those times well that's good news because honey we're going to fail, we're going to bumble, we're going to look like fools, we're going to look like idiots. I do it regularly. It's the nature of the experience of being a human being. We cannot attain perfection. And then it doesn't matter if I'm successful, if I make money, or if I don't make money, or if I'm fabulous, or if I'm, you know, it, it doesn't matter how well I pitch up. It doesn't matter if I'm the winner. I love myself anyway. And so unconditionality is the whole goal. It's to be... It's the way you love your cat. You know what I mean? Your cat comes into the room, it goes and it baths on your floor and now you've got to clean up the cat vomit and you're just like, ah, oh, or it scratches your furniture. But you choose to love it anyway. In that moment, you're thinking, okay, I don't love your behavior, but you choose to love it anyway. And it's the way people love their kids, you know, when they're able to be unconditional with their children. Mm -hmm. And it's the way we want to love our partners because they're not perfect. And actually, somehow, for some reason, it's easier for us to do it for other people. We don't, we don't require perfection from them. In fact, perfection is not very appealing. It's not, there's nothing warm and cozy about being with somebody who's always perfect. There's nothing nice about it. 
We want them to be bumbling fools like us so we can relate. Yeah, it's, the whole thing is to be unconditional. So is it achievable? Absolutely, because it doesn't require us to be anything but we are what we are in the moment and to be gracious about that for ourselves. And that's the thing that we have to learn, to be able to be not okay and to love ourselves anyway. Then we can have it all the time. And so when we're thinking, ah, oh, I can't believe I did that, it was an epic fail, we can still love ourselves, even though we're not happy that we failed. And if we fall over our value systems and we don't succeed and we maybe we're not as good a person as we want to be in that moment, we can go, wow, I really don't intend for that, but I can love myself anyway. I can say, shame, I'm sorry for you that you, that you really failed on your value system, that you epically failed, but I'm choosing to love you anyway. It has to be unconditional. And yes, it's achievable when it's unconditional. Mm. And part of actually the, the way to it is to find unconditionality and permission for yourself to have it. It's a big part of it. Yeah, and if you have, if you have the sense that this is how it works yes. and there's no other way for it to work, then you're able to give yourself permission. Yeah. That's it. Then you can stop driving yourself with a stick all the time mm. and start to give yourself permission to have it regardless. Mm. I'm curious, when you, when you really understand that, that you start living like that, what happens to your relationships? You know, for me, it was so beautiful. It was just, it makes me want to cry thinking about it, actually. It was so beautiful. Because I went from this aggression and defensive sensitiveness to being so much more open-hearted with people, so much more generous with them so much more allowing with them because my judgment on myself was my judgment on them too you know so when i stop judging myself and i see my frailty as a human being and my incapacity to always be well and always be loving and always be on form and always be taking care of people i see that i can't do that all the time so when they're not being able to do it to me i'm like okay cool i'm able to also put their stuff back with them and love them anyway so if you're acting like a complete savage and throwing your toys out the cot at me I can be still. I don't have to react as though I'm being attacked. I don't have to defend myself against you. I can see that you're having a really hard time right now. That's amazing to be in that space with somebody. To see them just like, <clears throat> because they're losing it, and be able to be compassionate and kind and gentle with them. You know, and it's not to say that we don't teach people how to treat us. Don't get me wrong. But we don't have to come into defense and aggressiveness and, and hurt and pain through it. So, yeah, I mean, the way that my heart opened as I started to love myself unconditionally was just a thing to behold for myself, especially. I mean, and other people noticed it. I can tell you, for, people said amazing things to me. Whereas before they always said, oh, you're a bull in a china shop and you have no tact and you're so, you're so aggressive and you're so defensive. And then when I started to love myself unconditionally, they said things like to me like, wow, you're the most amazing person I've ever met. And it's like so amazing to be around you. And I feel so comfortable around you. And I was like, whoa, never heard that in my life before. So I knew from just from my own feeling and from that feedback of their feeling around me that this was the way to go. And it must have made such a huge difference to the work you do. Oh, well, I didn't do the work before I figured out how to do it. So, yeah. But to every part of my interaction with everything, everywhere, and, and to the way that I felt in the world, most especially important to my feeling inside of myself. Huge difference. Mm. Huge. And for my clients, it's really helpful for those people who are suffering from anxiety 
and depression it's really really quick way out of it and it and stress and you know we get so attached to the way we think things should be well when you lose that attachment you're able to be with everything and that's a lifetime's journey it's not something that you learn in three months but it's a, when you get started on that you start to get better and better at it and now you can be okay regardless wow to find peace and calm regardless that's a gift and I'm sure you get, in, in quotation marks, you get luckier oh, yes. as, you, as you go along. You do, because you're more open and you're more generous in your spirit and people want to support that. And so, I mean, you know, they've done a lot of research about success and happiness. And do you, do you have happiness when you have success or do you have success when you have happiness? And the conclusion of those, those um, inquiries has been you always have happiness first. Success follows happiness. So to be able to come more joyfully in your life is definitely going to bring you better outcomes in your life from the outside in too. Thank you. Can you tell us where we can learn more about your work? Yes, absolutely. I have a, a website which is very detailed and full of my own ramblings on www.cloud-9-written-out.co.za. And um, from that website, you will also be able to find my YouTube channel where I have loads of free videos and little snippets and all of these little learnings that I teach along the way. They're all just about all of them are there um, for you to access absolutely free on YouTube. So there's a nice big YouTube channel for that. And now it's time for your best tips on developing self-esteem. <laughs> So the very, very first thing you have to do is know the nature of the mind. And that what that means is that you have to develop awareness. And what awareness is, is this capacity to look and watch ourselves in action. And most importantly, to watch the chatter that's going on. The little monkey brain that's just talking, 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 talking all the time. And so when we have the, the part of ourselves where some people would call it awareness, some people might call it higher consciousness or the seat of consciousness, that part watching this other part that's telling us that we're a bad person or telling us that we're not good enough or telling us that person, that part of us that's watching can say, oh, okay, hold on. Do you see what you're doing? Do you see where this feeling's coming from? Do you see where this experience is coming from? So as we learn the nature of the mind and how we create this inside out experience and we develop awareness to watch it, that is absolutely key. And that comes from... Firstly, understanding what we're watching for, which is the three principles, but most importantly from mindfulness practice. And then if you practice with meditation, you're also practicing watching the mind. You're practicing watching the mind. Mindfulness is practicing coming to this point, being present. What is going on for me right now? When I sip this coffee, am I tasting this coffee? Or is my mind in the future worrying or in the past having some old hateful thoughts? So awareness is the most important. The second I would say is giving ourselves permission absolute permission to be gentle and kind and compassionate with ourselves the way that we would be with our most precious child or friend or lover or husband or partner whatever to be that kind of a gentle kind loving and to be absolutely dedicated to giving ourselves permission to be that person that is always kind to ourselves so we kind when we're hurting and we kind when we've said nasty things and we kind and we just pull ourselves back and we say oh, hold on I promise to treat you kindly. And that causes us to be encouraging and it causes us to change what our brain looks for. 
And all the neuroscience about this is very, very clear. We get what we're looking for. We get what we focus on. And so our whole experience of life turns to one of, I'm looking for kindness. I'm looking for compassion. I'm looking for how the world is good to me. I'm looking for how I'm good in the world. And we shift our attention and we shift our attention. We see that authentic self who is a good person and is worth loving and is worth being loved. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is we really have to stop looking in the wrong place and start looking in the right place. And so all of those of us who've been looking outside to control the world so that it gives us an experience so that we can feel good, it's the wrong place. The very act of trying to do that is the thing that gives us the bad feeling. All of us that are looking for somebody else to tell us that we're enough so that we can believe it, so that we can feel good, it's the wrong place. The very act of doing that is what's giving us the bad feeling. And so all of these experiences, we have to stop looking there and we have to start looking inside. And that looking inside, I mean, it was always very difficult for me to understand what that meant before I understood the principles. But what it really is, is that you are having a nonstop conversation in your mind about who you are, what you are, and how to survive. And if you start looking at that conversation and seeing how that conversation is not working for you, and that meaning that you're making of life is not working from you, and that misunderstanding that you have about how you're supposed to get along or who you have to be or what you have to do to get along in life and to be enough is not working for you, then you can start to change those things. And as you change those things, your experience of life changes automatically. And change, people, it's easy and it's fast. It's instantaneous. When you have an insight like that, it's absolutely instantaneous. It's not this hard slog of becoming a better person. Let that go. It's not, it's you wasting your time and it actually makes you feel worse. And these three things, are those th the three principles you talk about? No. <laughs> oh, that is something else. The three principles are, it's basically an understanding called the three principles. And the three principles is just the nature of how the mind, the thought and consciousness works in the way that we experience life. That's, it's a, an understanding called the three principles. So the three principles is the principle of the mind. How does the mind work to invigorate and make us know our aliveness? And the principle of thought, which is just about everything, all thought is creating our experience in the moment. And our experience in the moment and the feeling that we have in the moment is only generated through our thinking. And then consciousness, which is the ability to be an awareness of this in the moment and be an awareness of life and to experience life actually at all is because we are conscious and awake and, and alert to it, available to it. And so that is the three principles, three principles of mind, thought, and consciousness. Mm. But that's a whole subject in its own right. Yes. You know, that, is, that is the learning. That's the ultimate learning, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. The nature of the mind to create our experience. When we start to get that, we can start to have experiences that feel good. Mm. Thank you. Are you ready for your fun question? <laughs> Bring it! <laughs> I've noticed that feathers play quite a role in your life. Oh. Uh, there's your love of badminton. Yes. And I went to the. I had to go to the internet to figure out how this works. And then I read that the shuttlecock was made with feathers when they started the game. It's still made with feathers. Is it still made mm. with feathers? It is. I thought it was plastic. No, the plastic ones are for the beginners. Oh. Because the feathers break so easily. And they're, oh. it's quite a kind of a sensitive little tool, the, the, the shuttlecock. So they break very easily. And the, when you're a beginner, you slap that thing around so badly that... It's, you, can, you can't play three points without breaking sure. it. So the beginners play with plastic, but when you're more advanced and sophisticated in your game, you play with feathers. Real feathers. And it's a completely different feeling, the plastic mm. to the feathers. Mm. Yeah. And then also you sometimes photographed with your angel wings. 
I don't know why I do that. I just, feathers, they're so beautiful, so right? Beautiful. And so the angel wings actually was, I was um, doing something for my husband. And um, he's, he has a shop called Camera Stuff. And so I was doing the show for him. I was just helping him out on the show. And they had this backdrop with these angel wings. And you know, my name is Angela. And my best friend, Jen, calls me Angel. And I never felt like that. In all of these years of aggression and defensiveness and protectiveness and not feeling enough, I never felt like an angel in any way, shape or form. And it's kind of a, um, a nod to the fact that I do feel more like my name. I feel more like an angel as time goes by. And my clients, you know, they're like, oh, you're such an angel in my life. And I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. So mm-hmm. the angel wings, they were on a backdrop. Then I said to one of the girls that was working there, oh, 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 quick, you've got to take some pictures of me with these wings because I'm growing into my angel self mm-hmm. a little bit. And now your question is, now angels aside, mm. if you could be a bird or any other creature involving feathers, what would that be? Um, you know, sometimes when I do a, a meditation, a visual meditation, I imagine that I'm a hawk sitting on the edge of a canyon and then I jump off and I'm just cruising the airways and that feeling of cruising and just flying with no effort, letting the thermals take me just seems like such a beautiful feeling for me. So I reckon it's got to be that hawk just, oh, so beautiful, just cruising around, letting the currents take you. Mm. Mm, that's quite a picture. <laughs> thank you for talking to us today and for explaining your work. And oh, thank you so much. For something we can really give thought to. Such a great pleasure. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved. If you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, marietsneyman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mark Marie Sneyman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.00.